0: Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Empowered Christian Woman. We are continuing today our journey through the Bible to really look at what does the Bible say about women and men? And does the Bible really limit women in the way that some Christian communities and complementarian theology has taught us? Does the Bible really set up a hierarchy of people where um, men are over women and men are always uh, called and created to be in roles of leadership, and women are always called to follow male leadership, which, if you're not aware, that is the basis of complementarian theology. Um, As I've said earlier People really fall all over the spectrum on this, and so there are some communities that would follow what is often called soft complementarian, which means they allow women to do more things than other really staunch patriarchalists uh, do. But but the bottom line is the difference between egalitarian theology. And a complementarian theology is that egalitarians believe that the Bible, understood in its proper context, teaches the full equality of men and women, and that roles are based on gifting and calling, not gender. And complementarian theology, while it does look at calling and gifting, says that there are certain roles— Within the church, within the home, and within society, some would would uh, teach that um, only men can hold, and that women are supposed to always be under male authority at some level. And so, it's this theology and this understanding of the Bible that. Holds women back from stepping into the fullness of our gifts and stepping into the full calling that God has placed on our life. And I think that's a tragedy. In fact, I think God looks down and sees that as a tragedy. And so this is where we're starting this podcast so that I can lay a lot of this out to really empower women with the truth of what the scripture says. And so we've looked at the creation narrative, we looked at women leaders in the Old Testament, and we saw that despite the patriarchal culture, women were leading and doing tremendous things in the Old Testament we looked at Jesus's attitudes and his empowerment of women and realized that Jesus was way ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his culture in advocating for and including women and teaching women, and that he was really launching a new day for women. And then last week, If you listened in, I had a fantastic interview with Julie Coleman, who is the author of On Purpose. And we talked a little bit about what women were doing in the early church, that there was um, a woman deacon that's mentioned in Romans and a female apostle and all the teaching and leading and prophesying that women leaders were doing in the early church. Frankly, friends, These women were doing more in their churches than what some women are allowed to do in our churches today. I have talked to and I know of women who are in churches where females are not allowed to give announcements. Females are not allowed to serve um, communion. In some churches, women are not allowed to even take the offering. Why? Because they are female. And that is a tragedy. Not only does that hold us back, but we in our churches will never reach the full redemptive potential if men and women are not all expressing our gifts, the fullness of men and women leading and worshiping and living together in community. So today, I want to talk about what is probably the most misunderstood and misused verse in all of scripture. It was interesting, as I was getting ready to prepare for this talk, my sister-in-law tagged me in a post on social media, and she said, hey, I think you might be interested in this conversation going on here. And sure enough, it was this particular verse that was plucked out of the Bible, and someone had posted it up on this page, and then there was a slew of conversation about this verse. In fact, it was, there was more than 400 comments on this scripture. And the sad reality is there were, it was a lot of just kind of bickering back and forth. <laughs> uh, and so even with the conversation happening around this scripture, most of it was completely missing the point. In fact, I want to say all of it, at least all that I read, was completely missing the point of this particular scripture. And so what is that scripture you may be wondering? Well, I'm going to read it here for you. I'm going to read it's First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety this passage is often cited as the insurmountable scriptural basis for excluding women from roles of leading and teaching in the church this scripture has perplexed christians for hundreds and hundreds of years i mean let's let's be honest it talks about um it, it appears anyway to be saying that eve is more culpable in the fall because she was deceived and became a sinner. Like, like she is more at fault than Adam. But we know all of Scripture is pretty clear that all of humanity has sinned. Like, we all have an issue. So why here does it seem to be making Eve the one who caused it all? And then what is this whole thing about being saved through childbearing? We Most Christians would agree that that salvation is through faith, by grace. And so what in the world is, is this talking about when it's bringing childbearing into the picture? And then also, as we have looked at Paul, who is the one who wrote this, Um, He's the one that told women at the Church of Corinth in Corinthians, he told women that they should pray and they should prophesy in the assembly so long as they're doing it in proper attire and they're doing it in an orderly fashion. Paul affirmed Priscilla as a teacher of Apollos, who was a man. Paul commended Phoebe, who was a deacon of the church, a deacon over men. So what in the world is going on here with this scripture being thrown into the mix that seems to be saying women can't do this? If we take this scripture and we just pluck it out of its context, as is often done as was done on social media recently, if we do that, then we have a big mess because this contradicts so many other places in Scripture, and it contradicts what Paul himself, who is the writer of this, is teaching in other places and the way that he is practicing in other churches. So let's unpack this verse within its full context. First Timothy is a letter that was written by Paul in the very beginning of the letter in chapter one. He tells us that he left Timothy there at Ephesus in order to, quote, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So Paul's reason for writing this letter to Timothy is very clear up front. He's addressing some false teachings that are plaguing the church in Ephesus, and he's telling Timothy how to lead in this situation. He was very concerned for this church at Ephesus that it be preserved, that the gospel message be preserved in its truth and in its entirety. Now some will say Paul is writing just to give basic instructions about how all churches should run. But the instructions that Paul give to Timothy in this letter are much more corrective than they are instructive. He gives very little detail about what the leaders are to do, but he does talk a lot about his concern for their character, their family life, and their commitment to sound teaching. In the very first chapter, he talks about two church members that were expelled for spreading false doctrines. In the, at the end of the book, in chapter six, he talks about this constant friction fueled by pride and malicious talk and greed. In chapter four, he describes the false teaching as what he calls, quote, the doctrine of demons. He also calls these false teachers hypocritical liars who pretend to be religious, but whose consciences are dead. There's also evidence in the letter to suggest that the false teachings have spread to the women of Ephesus, who in chapter 5, he says, quote, are going from house to house, talking about things not proper to mention. In chapter 5, he also says that some of these women, quote, have turned aside to follow Satan. In the second letter to Timothy, Paul also describes problems with false teachers that he says, worm their way into homes and gain control of weak-willed women, leading them to follow false doctrines. And so although there are no women false teachers specifically named... A close investigation of this letter cannot deny that nearly 60% of the letter talks about false teaching and women. And so clearly there is something going on in this church related to false teaching and the women. And that's what Paul is addressing here. So let's try and understand what is this false teaching? Well, To understand it, we need to know a little bit about Ephesus, where Timothy is located, and the church to which Paul is writing. We know from history and from Acts chapter 19 that Ephesus is the home to one of the biggest and most famous shrines of the female goddess Artemis. Artemis was the goddess of fertility. There are mythical stories about Artemis that she caused her mother no pain in childbirth and she served as a midwife in her brother's birth. And so she became known as the patron saint of childbirth. And so it was common for women to call upon her during labor. The Artemis cult was entirely run by females. And when men did play a role, they were always subservient. And so this female cult was the primary religion in Ephesus. And this pagan worship had so infiltrated the life and the economy at Ephesus that in chapter 19 of Acts, we read about a citywide riot that erupted against Paul and the gospel. There we find there's a story of Demetrius, a silversmith, And he ignited an uproar because the advancement of the gospel was negatively impacting his sales of these silver shrines to Artemis. So what was happening is the people in Ephesus were rejecting the pagan worship of of Artemis. They were no longer buying these religious objects and idols because they were becoming followers of Jesus and they were becoming a part of this new gospel and the way And it was negatively impacting their economy. And so most likely, when we look at what is happening, is that converts from Artemis, some of them perhaps true, but some of them probably were false converts that had infiltrated the church. And in an effort to preserve their religion and their economy, they were trying to meld the gospel with teachings and practices of the Artemis religion. There's also evidence to show that in addition to the cult of Artemis, that there was some Gnostic teaching that had infiltrated the church. And so Gnosticism was a way of thinking that was extremely influential, and it was problematic to Christian beliefs. And even though it's not mentioned by name, it's commonly taught against in the New Testament. And so very basically, a Gnostic worldview saw that the material world was bad, and the goal of humanity was to ascend to higher spiritual knowledge. So in the Gnostic worldview, knowledge was very valuable. And there is a Gnostic account of creation in which it's said that Eve was actually the first human being created, and that she is the one who gives life to Adam. And in the Gnostic teaching, Eve is seen as a heroine, because the Gnostics believed that to, de- to desire knowledge was good. And that's what Genesis tells us that Eve desired knowledge. And so in the Gnostic teachings. Eve is elevated over Adam. So many scholars believe that this, along with the infiltration of the Artemis cult, is what was going on. This is what the false teachings that Paul is trying to address and weed out of the church at Ephesus. This is what is happening. So with this as an important backdrop understanding this is the backstory. And so when we get to verse 211, Paul begins by telling Timothy that the women need to be taught. The word that we translate learn is the Greek word manatho. And it's in the present active imperative form of the Greek, indicating that it's a command. So literally what Paul is saying, Timothy, The women must learn. Now let's point out, first of all, this was a departure from what women typically were allowed to do. This was a departure from Judaism where the women were not taught. And so Paul, once again, is giving a direct command that the women not be excluded from learning in the assembly. And furthermore, because the women are involved in spreading false doctrine, he's saying, Timothy, you've got to properly teach these women so that you can weed out the false teachings in this church. When Paul says that the women need to learn in quietness and submissiveness, Paul is not demeaning them. He's simply describing what would have been an appropriate attitude of a learner for that day that these women need to be taught and they need to learn in a calm, reverent manner. They need to be respectful of the teacher and of the subject matter. And then he goes on and he says, I'm not allowing the women to teach or have authority over a man. The word translated authority here in the Greek is the verb authentain. This is the only place in all of scripture where this word is used. And so once again, when we come across a word and it's only found in one place in all of our scriptures, we really need to slow down and pay attention. Because typically what we do to understand what a word means is we also look to other places in our Bible to see how the authors used it in other places. We can't do that with this word because there's no other place in our Bible where we find this word authentain. And so that tells us something. Usually when Paul is talking about a normal exercise of authority, he uses the word Exousia, the Greek word exousia. Paul does not use exousia here for authority. Instead, he chooses authentine. So there's some kind of a nuance to this word that Paul specifically chose. The only way we can begin to understand what does authentine mean is to look at other Greek literature. And when we do that, what we find is the word authentine in the Greek literature was used as a word that meant to assume a stance of independent authority, to give orders, or to dictate to. It's a word that indicated a domineering or a power over. And so Paul is not talking about a healthy, typical, normal use of authority here. Catherine Kroger points out that in some Greek writings of the New Testament era. This word, authentain, had a connotation of murder, or it was sometimes mingled with concepts of incest. And so it's really a bizarre, domineering, powering over. It's not a healthy use of authority that Paul is talking about here. And so the teaching that these women were spreading had something to do with domineering and powering over the men. And so Paul was guarding it against setting up a hierarchy similar to the cult of Artemis, in which the women were superior and dominated the men. And so he's saying, uh, Timothy... No, we're not going to let the women teach this or dominate the men. This is not what our gospel is about. And so quiet these women, teach them, and do not let them dominate the men. This understanding here reconciles with Paul's practice of affirming women leaders in other contexts right? Including Priscilla, we said, and Junia, and Phoebe in Romans 16. In verse 13, Paul links his teaching to the creation account. Now, some argue that Paul's appeal to the created order indicates this hierarchy between men and women that was established at creation. However, we already looked at the Genesis account. And if you interpret the Genesis account on its own, there's nothing in the text to indicate a system of hierarchy. It would seem odd that if there was a hierarchy in the created account that God would wait thousands and thousands of years to finally clarify this for us, right? To finally say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, the reason... Men are set up to be in leadership over women is because of the creation order, because there's nothing in Genesis to say that. In in fact, the Genesis passage really is very clear about the mutuality and the oneness of men and women and the interdependence of man and woman. So why does Paul point to the creation account then. There are two possible interpretations. So there are some scholars that say that Paul is appealing to the creation account to point out that what happened at the fall is an illustration of what's happening again, that the women are being deceived, and therefore they're falling into sin, and that the women must be taught, and they need to be quiet and have the attitude of a learner so that they don't become deceived like Eve. Another possible reason for his reference to the creation account, and the one that I personally believe makes the most sense in light of the context, is that here Paul is setting straight some of the false teachings that are threatening the gospel. So, as I said earlier, in Ephesus, Artemis there was a mother goddess, and there was a creation account that taught that Eve had been created first. And so the influence of the Artemis cult in this church, the teachings were elevating Eve as the mother of life. They were were teaching that Eve was an enlightened being because she wanted knowledge and so that she was elevated over Adam. And so when Paul gets here, What he's doing is he's simply quoting Genesis to set the story straight, right? Remember, we have our Bible where we can pick it up and we can read it. They didn't have the Genesis account in that early church with the the story written out for them. So Paul, once again, he's setting the record straight. He's saying, no, silence those women because what they're teaching is wrong. Adam was created first, not Eve. And Eve was not an enlightened goddess. She was a human being who was deceived and she fell into sin. And this also explains Paul's statement in verse 15 about childbirth. In the first century, childbirth was very dangerous. And as a result, many women died. And so again, the influence of Artemis has been teaching these women in the Ephesian church to call on Artemis, the patron saint of childbirth, to help them through childbirth. And so um, it's very likely now that the the women in the church are being taught to call upon Eve. And so he's correcting this false teaching again. He's clarifying for the women, no, they're going to be carried safely through labor and childbirth, not by Eve or Artemis or any other goddess, but rather through faith in Christ, that is demonstrated by love, holiness, and sound thinking. And so Paul is not setting up a universal restriction on women leading and teaching and exercising a healthy authority. Paul is not saying that women are responsible for sin in the fall and so therefore there's no way that they can teach because they're all deceived. Paul is concerned with a specific situation, a false teaching because of the cult of Artemis that had infiltrated the church at Ephesus. Paul's instructions to Timothy are not universal because Paul was a strong proponent for women. He accepted them as partners and equals. He continued Jesus' example by commanding that women be allowed to learn, which was a radical departure from historical Judaism. He preached a gospel of equality for all, regardless of gender. He made no distinctions between men and women regarding spiritual gifts. So what I think we can take away from this scripture, though the gospel is empowering to women, we also should not take that power to extremes and use it to dominate men. And neither should men dominate women. And so, dear sisters, in closing, I want to encourage you to stay strong, stay the course, continue to grow and develop your gifts, courageously follow the calling that God has on your life. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. And share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Jay Cochran Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.